I'd like you to open your Bibles with me this morning, and we are going to be in the New Testament Gospel of Luke as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord and Savior this morning on Easter. However, we are also going to this morning, we are going to remember Christmas as we celebrate Easter. I know it's pretty common to go to church on Christmas, and maybe you hear a pastor say something like this, the manger points to the cross, right? Have you ever heard that? Yeah, the manger points to the cross. And today we're actually going to dive some into the Christmas story as well as we see baby Jesus in the manger and see how that points to the cross. But the one thing we're going to look for is the hope and the peace that came into our world on Christmas. But ladies and gentlemen, let me, let me tell you, it did not leave our world on Easter. It did not leave. I'm going to start out this morning by reading you part of the Christmas story. Before we move on, I'm in Luke chapter 2. I'm going to start in verse number 8. And you've heard this. I know that you've heard this. Not on Easter, but on Christmas. But you've heard this. It says, Now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. You will find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Verse 13, And suddenly there was with the angels a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, watch this, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. That's our Christmas story. For those of you just joining us this morning, either in person or online, I want you to know that we are a note-taking church. I'm going to give you some principles this morning that I ask you to write down, and I want you to take them with you and take them home with you as you as you meditate on the, the meaning of Easter and, and you meditate on the scripture this morning. And I'm going to tell you point number one in your notes, and we'll go ahead and write this down. Point number one on your notes this morning is this. There was no true peace on earth before Jesus. There was no true peace on earth before Jesus. If you're a history buff, or maybe you know, you, you know your Bible history going all the way back to the Garden of Eden and continuing with, with Adam and Eve's children... Cain and Abel, the world has always been covered in war and in torment. There's just been murder and torture and evil and hatred and racism and fighting. Our world is not a prime place for peace. But when Jesus was born, the angel said, and now peace on earth. It's as if peace itself fell from heaven to earth. And that's exactly what happened. The angels were announcing, now that Jesus is born, God on earth, now there is peace on earth. But there's something very important about what the angels said. When Jesus was born, peace came to earth 
in and with Jesus himself. Jesus himself encapsulates peace. Before Jesus was born, there was another baby that was born who was prophesied about. This child we eventually would refer to by the name John the Baptist. Luke records for us what his father Zacharias spoke, what he said about his unborn son. I'm going to read you some of this from Luke chapter 1. I'm in verse number 76. Some of the words that his, John the Baptist's father said was this, And you, my child, this is talking about John the Baptist, will be called a prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare a way for him to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of our God by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadows of death, watch this, to guide our feet into a path of peace. Zechariah is prophesying that Jesus Jesus, the coming Messiah, will guide our feet into a path of peace. The opening for peace on earth started in the manger, but it did not close on the cross. We know that the last week of Jesus' life was an emotional roller coaster for himself and for his disciples. And we know on Friday of that week, his physical body died on a cross when Roman soldiers held his arms against, against a, a piece of wood and hammered spikes through his arms. And, and then they hoisted this cross up into the air and then thump, let it thump down in a, in a hole. The Roman soldiers would eventually walk away from their work, go back to their homes, maybe go back to their workplace, to the break room, and they would come back a few hours later, and their victims would be dead. It happened every time. They crucified many, many, many people. But they did not expect this time anyone to ever see that man again. The soldiers, they knew what to do. Sometimes maybe they would take people off of the crosses if they needed that cross for the next person who's going to be executed. Sometimes they wouldn't. Roman soldiers didn't care. But never would they have expected that a physical body of a man that they nailed to a cross would ever walk again. It had never happened before. We know that later on that day, on Friday... The day that Jesus was killed, two gentlemen took his body off of the cross and they put his body into a tomb. Back in those days, there were rituals. Egyptians, some of you know from watching documentaries, Egyptians would preserve bodies of their dead by embalming them. That's not what the Jews did. What the Jews did is they would buy spices and, and aloes and they would cover the body in the tomb to put off that, that stench of death and decay for as long as possible. Nicodemus was a Pharisee, but he was one who knew who Jesus was. 
And he was one who, who helped take the body of Jesus off of the cross. And him and another gentleman lifted his limp, lifeless body to a nearby tomb. And Nicodemus actually put some spices on the body of Jesus. But they had to be quick about it on Friday. They had to get it done before sunset because that was when the Sabbath started. And you can't do any work on the Sabbath. So they had to get Jesus' body into the tomb, get the spices and aloes onto his body, and then get home before the Sabbath started. Some of Jesus' followers especially two women by the name of Mary and some others, they weren't able to put spices on Jesus' body on Friday. So the women on Friday, they had made plans to come back to the tomb as soon as the Sabbath was over. That's middle of the night between Saturday and into Sunday. And they made plans that they were going to come back and pay their respects and anoint the body of Jesus with more spices. We all know the story, and that's why we're here today, celebrating the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that when the women came to the tomb that morning, that that big stone that was rolled in front of the, the opening to this tomb, that it had been moved. They didn't know how. They didn't know how it had it had been replaced, it had been moved, but the tomb was open. Anyone could walk right in. There was no security guards there. There was no fence there. There was no security guard kicking it in his car, eating a sandwich out there, just getting paid by the hour to do nothing, right? None of that. It was open. The door was open. I want to bring this back into our world for a moment. If you were at a funeral on Friday, and maybe you went to the graveside service after the funeral at the church, and let's say that maybe you stayed at that service later than everybody else, and you were there watching from a distance while the workers lowered the casket of a loved one down into the earth. And maybe you even stayed and you watched while a gentleman had a, a shovel and, and started to put dirt into the hole. And maybe you were there when, a, when another guy got on a backhoe and started to, to put dirt into the grave. And your sadness would be with you all the way home. It's a sad day. Maybe you come back in a couple of days to put flowers on that grave of your loved one. But when you show up, there's no fence around the cemetery. You, you don't see anyone else there. You don't see any workers there. And you go to that grave that you were just at a couple of days ago, and all the dirt is over here in a pile again. I, I, I just saw them put it in there, but now it's in a pile again right over here. And there's a casket in there, but it's open, and there is nobody in it. You are expecting to see somebody. You are there to pay your respects but one that you saw go into that grave, you know was in that grave. They are not there. They are gone. Now imagine you look around. You look around that cemetery and you see a guy out here mowing the lawn. The only person that you see in the area. What do you think that you would do? You'd probably go up to him and talk to him. Like, hey, um, you know what's going on here? Like there's supposed to be somebody in there. 
The stone to the tomb that Jesus was put in, it was not rolled away so that Jesus could get out. It was rolled away so that people could get in. So that people could come in and see that that tomb was empty. But I want you to know something about what that empty tomb symbolizes. And this is point number two in your notes this morning. The empty tomb is the passageway to peace. It is a passageway to where you and I can go in and see that the tomb is empty. When Jesus was born, there is now peace on earth like there has never been before. When Jesus was ministering throughout his life, he taught about peace. The gospel is a gospel of peace. Peace and the empty tomb is a passageway for you and I to obtain peace. In our world, people are looking for peace everywhere. Everywhere you look. But the problem is that we all have our own definition of peace. Our world's definition of peace is to create situations where you and your culture are in a situation that presents the least amount of difficulties and the highest amount of pleasure. That's the world's definition of peace. But that's not God's definition of peace. Let me tell you something, and this is so important. Your definition of peace is so shallow compared to God's definition of peace. Whatever your definition of peace is, it is shallow compared to God's definition. We don't even know. I don't even think we can fathom what true peace is. Peace on earth? I don't think that we can imagine that. And I'd go as far as to venture to say that some of us wouldn't even recognize God's peace if God or Jesus himself were standing right next to us. You know who else couldn't recognize Jesus? There were some people who were so close to him, and they didn't even recognize him. Christian, I wonder if there's times that we can get so close to Jesus that we don't even recognize him. Watch this. This is important. We're in John chapter 20. I'm going to start in verse number 11. So Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look at the tomb, and she saw two angels in white seated where Jesus's body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know, I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing there, but she did not realize that it was Jesus. She didn't realize it was Jesus. You know why? Because she was looking for a dead man. She wasn't looking for Jesus to do something that only Jesus can do. Her mind and what she could imagine limited her ability to see what Jesus could do. It's fascinating when we go back to the Christmas story that in Luke chapter 2 and 36, we find a very, very, very old lady who looks at a child that is about 40 days old and recognizes him right away. I'm in Luke chapter 2, verse number 36. Luke writes this, there was also a prophet Anna, the daughter of Penuel from the tri tribe of Asher. 
She was very old, and she had lived with her husband seventy or seven years after her marriage, and then was a widow until she was eighty-four. She never left the temple, but worshipped day and night, fasting and praying. Coming to that very moment, this is the moment when Mary and Joseph came into the temple. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. Anna may not have physically lived in the temple, but she was there night and day, praying and worshiping all the time. That's where she was. She knew her scripture. She knew Israel history. In those days, every Jewish family... All the baby boys were to be brought to the temple. After a certain amount of time of, of, of cleanliness, typically upwards to 40 days. So a month and a half. Anna has been around for a long, long time. Says that she practically lives at the temple. Every Jewish family that has boys has to bring them to the temple. That means that Anna has seen a lot of baby boys come through. Every day, you would imagine. How many boys have been born and are coming to the temple? Here's a baby coming with this family. Here's a baby coming with this family. Here's a baby coming with this family. And she can spot the Messiah right away. That's him. You know why? Because for decades, Anna has been looking for the Prince of Peace. She has been looking for the Messiah. It all comes down to who are you looking for? If you're looking for a dead man, you're not going to find Jesus. She was looking for the Messiah. Before my youngest daughter, Samantha, was born, that was my first child the first time that I was at the hospital, I had this, this idea that once she was born that the nurses were going, just, just like on TV, I thought that they were going to take her away, put her in a room, and there's about 50 different baby carriages out there, and you look through a window, and you say, well, which one is mine? That's what I thought, right? So let's face it, some, some kids, when they're really small, can kind of, once you get a lot of them together, they can kind of start looking the same. But if you've got every single day baby boys that are coming into the temple, Anna's right there, you start seeing baby boy after baby boy, but she can spot the Messiah right away. She knows exactly who it is. See, Jesus, our Messiah, will present himself to you in ways that you cannot imagine. But if you go into a situation imagining how you are going to find Jesus, you are going to fail. He will present himself in ways that you can't imagine. We don't know a whole lot about the clothing that Jesus wore during his days in ministry. Probably a tunic, some leather sandals. But two important points in history of Jesus' story that we do know about is what he wore when he was born. Swaddling clothes, right? We know he was wrapped in swaddling clothes. And we know what he was wearing at his death. He was wrapped in burial garments. Come back with me. We're in John chapter 20, verse number 3. This is when the disciples get to the tomb. Peter, therefore, went out with the other disciple, and they were going to the tomb. 
So they both ran together, and the other disciple, which is that's assumed is John, outran Peter and came to the tomb first. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen clothes lying there, yet he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb, and he saw the linen clothes lying there, and the handkerchief that had been laying around his head, that's Jesus' head, not lying with the linen clothes, but folded together and placed by itself. What were they expecting to find when they went to the tomb? They were expecting to find a dead man wrapped in tomb clothes. They were expecting to see somebody in the grave in the same clothes that they saw him go into that grave in. Jesus came into this world in swaddling clothes and he quickly grew out of those clothes and Jesus was buried in grave clothes and he quickly resurrected out of those clothes. John chapter 20, verse 15 says this. He asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it that you're looking for? Telling, thinking he was the gardener, she said, sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you put him and I will get him. See, she's still thinking, tell me where you put his dead body. Tell me where you put the Messiah who is no longer alive. Mary is actually, literally, in this moment, talking to Jesus, who she thinks is the gardener. And the thought doesn't even come to her mind that Jesus could do something beyond her own mental limitations. I want you to know something this morning. No matter what you think that Jesus could do, he can do so much more than that. You actually can't even imagine the way that God will present himself to you. The way that God works is beyond the capacity of our minds to either even imagine or fathom. Who would have thought that the Messiah would be introduced into our world with angels singing out in the field to a bunch of shepherds in the middle of the night. I don't know any king that comes to town like that. Normally there's a big parade, and there's uh, elephants, and and there's camels, and there's uh, a guy with a horn, and there's a bunch of guys with flags, right? I mean, that's how a king comes into town. Not talking to shepherds. Who would have imagined that the Messiah would come and would travel around the countryside living and camping outside with 12 men for three years, not having a house to go to, just setting up camp and walking around ministering to people and just living out in the woods, out in the fields. Who would have imagined that? Who would have thought that the Messiah would have caused disruptions between two major cultures at the time? No, everyone expected the Messiah to come and bring peace Everyone was looking for peace that they defined, and they defined by themselves, but they weren't looking for only the peace that Jesus could bring. That's not what they were looking for. A few days after the incident at the tomb, the disciples had gotten together, and Jesus made an appearance to them. I'm in John chapter 20, verse number 19. John writes this, on the evening of that first day of the week when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear that the Jewish leaders 
would arrest them, Jesus came and he stood among them and said, watch this, this is what Jesus said, peace be with you. After he said this, he showed him his hands and his side. Mind you, he's not saying anything. All he said was, peace be with you. He goes like this. Look. And the very next thing he says to them is this. Again, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. The first thing that Jesus says to the disciples is, peace be with you. Peace is with you. I am peace. I'm here. Peace be with you. I'm here. He didn't say anything else except to show his hands and his feet and then to say the exact same thing. Peace is with you. More than anything. The resurrection of Jesus brings peace. A peace that is so gratifying. A peace that is so overpowering that it's unimaginable. You know what Jesus didn't say to the disciples? Jesus didn't walk in and say, money be with you. He didn't walk in and say, good health be with you. Great relationships be with you. A strong, healthy head of hair be with you. Uh-uh. Jesus is not a fortune cookie. Jesus is truly the Prince of Peace. Amen? In Luke's gospel, Luke focuses on peace. Thank you. In this moment in history, the... Romans recognized peace that came from Caesar Augustus. Caesar came into power as a ruler of the Roman Empire about 30 years before Jesus was born. And he ruled till Jesus was a teenager. He died when Jesus was about 15 years old. So he ruled for 45 years. Before Caesar Augustus came into power, there was so many wars and so much torment throughout the area. There was no peace. But Caesar came and he did bring peace, political peace, among the neighbors in the area. And so there wasn't as much wars at this time. And the people recognized that. And they loved him for that, for bringing peace. They actually created shrines and inscribed them saying, Savior of the entire world, dedicating these to Caesar. Luke states that Jesus is the true Savior of the world, the one who brings authentic good news. It is an authentic gospel. The peace that Jesus brings is far deeper than peace amongst nations. Caesar Augustus was able to bring an absence of war to a war-torn nations, but he could never bring the spiritual peace that comes with an offer of true salvation. No political leader will ever be able to deliver spiritual peace. Somebody might ask, well, doesn't the message that Jesus brings of peace, doesn't that, 
That message from the empty tomb, doesn't it contradict Jesus' own words? Look what Jesus says in Luke chapter 12. He says this, Do you think I came to bring peace on earth? No. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five and one family divided against each other. Three against two. Two against three. They will be divided. Father and son. Son against father. Mother against daughter. Daughter against mother. There's some people who simply cannot see Jesus, even though he is standing right next to them. You know somebody like that. You know somebody who, because of pride or because of their own feelings or their own personal strength that they feel that they can get to heaven on their own good deeds and they don't need Jesus and they will refuse to recognize Jesus. See, here's the thing though. Jesus did not come to bring peace. He did not come to bring peace, but but not to bring peace on earth. He did come to bring it, not to bring peace on earth. He came and he died to bring spiritual peace. And spiritual peace, ladies and gentlemen, spiritual peace does not live on earth. Jesus goes on in verse 54. He says this, and he said to the crowd, when you see the clouds rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say, Oh, it's going to be hot. And it is. He said, you hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? He's literally telling people, you walk outside your your house and you look up in the sky. And because of your experience, you can tell whether it's going to rain today or not. You can tell whether it's going to be hot. If you need to wear snow boots or swim trunks. Jesus is saying, you know this, but you're a bunch of hypocrites because you walk outside, you recognize my nature that I built, but for some reason you don't recognize me. How is it that you don't know how to interpret the present time? Do you know what time the present time is right now? I know some people are going to say, oh, this is the end times. This is Armageddon. And you might be right. You might not be. But let me tell you what the present time is right now. Right now, it's time to make sure that you are ready. Right now, the present time is to make sure that you are ready. It is time to recognize Jesus. It is time to recognize the Messiah. It's time to recognize that Jesus can do so much more in your life if you will simply quit fighting him. If you will quit limiting him because you think he can only do something that is within your inspiration. If you limit Jesus to the only thing that humans can do, then you know what you've done? You've put Jesus right back in the grave. You put him back in the tomb and you personally rolled that stone right back in front of the opening 
When we limit Jesus, we look right at him and we don't recognize him and we put him back in the tomb. Here's the third and final point in your notes this morning. Only God can define true peace. The Jews would have defined peace as having leadership and control over their nation again, over their land. But that probably would not be the definition of true peace to the Romans. Your definition of peace might be that your neighbor's dog will stop barking all night long. But I bet that that's not the definition of peace to your neighbor, who is off right now enjoying a week in Aspen, letting a teenager take care of the dog that is barking all night long, right? You see, they are enjoying peace right now. You're not. Your peace is to make their... So everyone's peace is different. To you and I, peace is subjective. We all have our own definition of peace and how much torment that we will tolerate and, and still consider life peaceful. I want you to see something about the peace that God has planned for us. And trust me, this is something that you cannot even imagine. I'm going to Revelation chapter 21, verse number one, reads like this. And then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And then I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will, watch this, wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old older order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the, of the water of life. To those who are victorious will inherit, inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Think about that. No more death, no more crying, no more pain, no more clouds, Jesus living with us in person, words that are trustworthy, streets of gold, a mansion built for you, free water from the spring of life, an inheritance so deep that we can't fathom, that is peace. That is God's peace. The empty tomb is our pathway to God's peace. I don't know what's troubling you this morning. But because of the cross and because of the resurrection, we have hope and we know that there is spiritual peace ahead. I, for one, personally, I am thankful that my future peace is not on earth. Because it's pretty evident that Satan dwells here. 
And someday I'm going to stand up with all of my brothers and sisters in Christ and we are going to rise with Jesus and turn around and say to Satan, you can have this place, we're out. We're all going to live in peace. There is hope in the resurrection. That peace that you can't find, it is there. Let me tell you that just becoming a Christian, it does not mean that you're going to find that full depth of peace that you're looking for. But it does bring more peace than you're experiencing right now. We still have to live in a world that Satan rules over. But we could have peace while we live in this world and a peace that is found in Jesus Christ. Amen? We have to keep living in this world because there are many people that we want to see enjoy that same spiritual peace. Someday we're all going to we're all going to live as a family together with Jesus in peace together. But until we get there, we must live together as a family of believers right here where we are. See, the more that you see Jesus, the more peace you can experience. Let me say that again. The more that you see Jesus, the more peace you can experience. Where do you see Jesus at right now? Do you see him in your devotions? Let me ask you, how strong and how deep are your devotions? Do we need more devotions so that we can see Jesus more? Maybe. Do we see Jesus in our prayers? Do we need more time in prayer so we can see Jesus more? Maybe. The more you see Jesus, the more peace you can experience. And the more you show Jesus, the more peace you can help somebody else experience. Our world is messed up. And I'm going to be 100% honest with you. This world will not get any better without Jesus. And when Jesus comes back... Let me tell you something. He's not coming back to bring peace on earth. He is coming back to take us all to peace with him. Amen? Are you ready? Are you ready to break this cycle of torment? The empty tomb is a pathway. Who is it that you know who is not ready? Who is it that you know that you are not 100% sure that they are going to be walking the streets of gold with Jesus in heaven for eternity. You know why we need to get our life right? Because as Christians, we're an example to others. And when others see peace in us and ask where that peace comes from, we can all tell them, my peace comes from Jesus. The peace in my heart comes from Jesus, the Messiah. 
And let me tell you about him. Because I know that you're struggling with peace too. David's going to come back up and play here in just a minute. I want you to know that if you are here this morning and you don't know the peace that comes with knowing Jesus, that you can know that peace today. I'm going to be right over here and I would love to pray with you. Jerry's in the back. He'd love to pray with you too if you're in the back and you'd like to go and see Jerry. I want you to know that there is peace ahead for you. There is a deep spiritual peace ahead for you. But you can come closer to Christ right now. And you can come closer to the family of Christ right now and start experiencing spiritual peace right now. You know what time it is? It's time to get ready. It's time to make sure. It's time to recognize that Jesus can do things that you can't even imagine. Some of you will say today, I can't even imagine that Jesus would want anything to do with me. You're limiting God. Don't limit God. Because he will find you in places that you never expected him to find you. And you know what? He's never going to leave you. You know, all those things in your past that you say, he's not going to love me because of that. He does. There's nothing you can do to break away his love. His love for you is that deep.